0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Off The Key Podcast. I'm your host, Mac, and today I'm joined by my two regular co-hosts,
1: Gort. Is this it?
0: And James. Hello. Welcome to our new series on Off The Key Podcast called Deep Dives, where we pick an artist, musician, singer, songwriter, whoever, and we dive into their entire discography. There was a poll on our YouTube channel for a few artists that we wanted to talk about. It was like Fishman's. Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, uh, MF Doom, and The Strokes. I was very shocked with the results. I don't know about you guys. I did not expect The Strokes to be the number one requested artist from that list.
1: Everyone just wanted to make me happy. That's really what it all comes down to. That's the <laughs> most important thing.
0: But yes, we did uh, decide that we were going to do two artists. So the second most voted for artist was
1: Fishman's. Not as cool as The Strokes. We still appreciate Fishman's.
0: Cap, But... <laughs> I'm definitely very excited for Fishman's. And, you know, it's been a while since I've really listened to The Strokes. So this was also a pretty exciting thing for me, as well as Garrett, who suggested The Strokes in the first place.
1: Because they are firmly in my top 10 bands of all time, and they will never leave.
2: And this is
1: my first time
2: really diving into The Strokes. I've heard them before, and I've heard a couple of their songs, but honestly, the entire genre and movement I never really got into, even though I grew up in that period.
0: Yeah, this will be interesting for us because we all grew up in that movement in that period and kind of witnessed the development and evolution of the alt-rock scene in the 2000s. And the Strokes were pretty much the poster boys of the indie rock revival movement, the alt-rock movement of the 2000s as well. And it all started with a tiny little debut record called, is this it? Was- 2001. Two thousand and freaking one. Well, no, I remember the Strokes growing up. I don't know if you guys remember Fuse. God, yes. That music video channel on cable. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. dude. So Fuse, their music videos would play a lot during the early and mid-2000s on Fuse. And Mm. uh, my first exposure to the band was actually their single from their second album, Reptilla. I remember seeing the music video on my crappy little CRT TV in my bedroom in like 2004. I think we should definitely get into the history of the band to kind of understand the evolution and how they got here in the first place. So we're going to start with a little bit of a historical dive. The Strokes were incredibly influential in the 2000s, and even arguably today, Is This It? was a pivotal moment in the development of indie rock during that time. It was pretty much what opened the floodgates to the explosion of those music movements in the 2000s. So if you're wondering, The Strokes are a New York City-based Rock band formed in 1998 consisting of Julian Casablancas as the lead singer and lead songwriter, Nick Valensi and Albert Hammond on guitars, bassist Nikolai Freitur and drummer Fabrizio Moretti. The formation of The Strokes begins at Dwight School in Manhattan where Julian, Nick Valensi and Fabrizio started playing together forming an unofficial band in 1997. So later, they added Nikolai Freitor, a childhood friend of Casablanca's who attended the Licee Franciaste New York School with him alongside Albert Hammond Jr. a few months later.
1: This is not the story of the band that struggled and came up through everything. These were some very well-off kids. Julian Casablanca's father, John, literally is responsible for crediting the term supermodel. That's how influential he is. They came from money. They never had to worry about anything, and they were just kind of made a band, you know, shoot the breeze. They were all in fancy, schmancy like, art school. They all came together. They were all friends. They all met at school. They never really had any kind of tryouts. It all came together very organically, and they just kind of jailed.
0: They were all close friends, you know. They all knew each other in high school. One thing I find kind of interesting is how they were able to just, like, work part-time jobs and practice
2: because of this. <laughs> of course, it's a classic New York group, very multicultural and different backgrounds, they all came from money still, but
1: culturally, they're different. Yeah, very European. A fun Wait, is that Albert Hammond Jr.'s father, Albert Hammond Sr., was also a fairly popular singer-songwriter that had a few hits in the 70s, including It Never Rains in Southern California, which is a bop. The foundation
0: of the Strokes was actually a very strong one. It kind of shows, especially with their work ethic, So for the next couple of years after they graduated high school, the band tirelessly practiced and performed all over New York City, frequenting various Manhattan rock clubs such as the Hi-Fi Bar, the Luna Lounge, and eventually Manhattan's staple Mercury Lounge.
2: It's really a perfect scene and perfect opportunity for any rock band, no matter where they come from. Not discounting their work ethic, because they definitely had it. You have to have a work ethic to... Play yeah, they, around they were and practicing, practicing and playing yeah. gigs almost daily yeah, for a couple it, years. But it's also just a, a hotbed of opportunity. The New York music scene is legendary, always has been. Oh yeah, absolutely. And they,
0: they thrived. I mean, by 2000, the band had written enough songs and material for a 14-song set that would serve as the blueprint to their debut album, and later connected with producer Gordon Raphael after a show at the Lunar Lounge to create a demo titled The Modern Age EP. This EP. Blew up. So, a teaser track uh, last night was available as a free download. They sent the album to Rough Trade Records in the UK and they were really interested in it. And after the release of the EP, it sparked a major bidding war between several big time record labels. Yeah, I know mm-hmm. BMI tried to get them. There was like a huge bidding war and it was very fast and very quick. But eventually, RCA came out on top and signed the band to a Pretty good deal, I'd say. By the spring of that same year, when they got signed, they began recording their debut studio album, Is This It?, released on July 30th, 2001, and the band sought to capture a simple sound that was not significantly enhanced by the audio. Like the modern age, the band created compositions through live takes during lengthy recording sessions. Yeah, it's kind of insane to witness the evolution and the explosion of The Strokes. There was all the hype from the modern AGP bidding war with all these major record labels trying to pick them up. And then Is This It came out, dude, it pretty much changed the rock scene single handedly. And it's interesting because the sound of Is This It, a lot of the takes, a lot of the recording of Is This It has a very raw, very DIY sound
1: while still sounding clean. Well, there's a, there's a few things that, that trends that they kind of went away from that were very prevalent in the 90s. One, they, they're they getting away from that hard rock grunt. They're softening up. They're not doing as heavy distortion. It's lighter. There's more, I guess, kind of like a more, like, it's not as heavy. The rhythms are a little bit more danceable. Yeah, very They're poppy. not quite as, yeah, they're very poppy. You know, Julian has a very... I guess the kind of Milk Toast voice he doesn't have an overly gravelly like her her you know voice as like every rock band was chasing in the 90s and like around that time he yeah. just kind of
0: we were coming out of the grunge era and into the new millennium is this it is kind of the antithesis of everything that was popular in the 90s yes. at, at least in the rock space and I feel like that is why the record had such a massive impact it pretty much took everything that rock was doing at the time and throwing it all out the window when i was reading about the strokes and their history i was getting parallels to van halen in the 80s because van halen you know they were this big bar band they were working really hard they were trying to get seen had a crazy work ethic a crazy like practice Mm -hmm. routine they were basically the bar band that got big and changed the sound of popular 80s rock and everyone tried to copy them you know Mm -hmm. there were so many van halen copycats and copyists. The Strokes, their evolution
1: mirrors say. it. Indeed, although I will say that the Strokes copycats are a whole lot better than the Van Halen copycats because no one has the really the technicality nor the creativity to rival Eddie Van Halen which is, Strokes, it's more like their song more creative like the, structure. Yeah,
0: the sound, the aesthetic, the, the rhythm choices.
1: Yeah, If you try to straight up try to copy Eddie Van Halen, you're going to look like an ass.
0: <laughs> the Strokes with their debut album, like Van Halen, started a rock movement that would last all the way up into the 2010s. There's
1: also a lot of like controversy around this album, too, which furthered its
0: media attention, yeah. and, attention and presence. When the album initially came out, the original cover was changed in the U.S. market because it depicted a black-and-white photo of a naked woman's backside wearing a leather glove. U.S. critics said that it was too raunchy it was too explicit for the u.s version only the album cover is different
2: which is ridiculous i mean did these critics grow up in the 80s did they see what hair metal bands are doing the
1: fucking scorpions jesus christ (laughs) did they see the original gnr cover for appetite (laughs) it it was just so hypocritical
2: to me like like
0: when i was looking back at that i was like of course but you know you got to remember the 2000s you know there was a lot of uh
2: post satanic panic yeah yeah, there, there is another cycle of that for
0: sure. Yeah, definitely in the 2000s with the release of like Pokemon and, you know, everything goes in cycles. But anyway, on top of that, one of the songs on the original version of Is This It, New York City Cops, was removed. It was amended and replaced because of the 9-11 attacks. Now, I, I mean, I can understand at the time, you know, it's a big tragedy. It's still one of the biggest tragedies that the U.S. has faced today.
2: It, it changed the world to say the least. They weren't the only ones that had to deal with that. There were other bands, too. Dream Theater had that infamous live album where they had New York City on fire or something, and they had to change it.
0: This album had a lot of publicity as well, a lot of controversy, and it just kind of exploded. By the end of the year, The Strokes were the biggest band in the world. Despite the controversy, Is This It? reached RAAA platinum status in several countries, along with heaps of critical acclaim. It is widely considered to be a staple record of the 2000s and the album that would single-handedly usher in this indie rock movement that we've been talking about. You know, the mainstream success of Is This It would pave the way for other alternative rock acts to succeed during the time period as it showed major labels the commercial viability of the genre. After The Strokes got big, so many bands were getting signed. You know, without This Is It, we wouldn't have Arctic Monkeys, we wouldn't have Franz Ferdinand, we wouldn't have Kings of Leon. We wouldn't have Interpol. We wouldn't have the Libertines. All of these big garage and alt-rock movement bands that got big in the 2000s, they have the strokes and is this it to think?
2: They ushered in a new rock movement. They, they created a new cycle of rock music. I think that it should be pointed out too. This was the first era in which rock was no longer the most popular music genre. I mean, you guys maybe could debate this or maybe not cuz y'all are I would such I would say rock rapids. is
0: starting to lose its popularity at this yeah, point. Yeah. I I, can I wouldn't that. Say, it's when
2: it's starting to fall down in popularity and rap is coming up.
0: Yeah, I think that's a better way to put it, you know. We had the beginning of of the bling era in in the 2000s with rap. The introduction of guys like Kanye West and 50 Cent, you know, we had that whole movement going on and rock was slowly starting to decline. Mm-hmm. So in a way, the indie movement was one of the last really, really big rock movements in history so far. There haven't really been that many major rock movements. Big, big, taken-the-world-by-storm rock movements since yeah. the indie boom of the 2000s. Not everything that came from The Strokes was great. The movement itself, you can't ignore it. It was so yeah, significant. No. I remember hearing every fucking garage rock band, you know, the White Stripes, arctic monkeys in their debut album we were there but with that being said we should probably go ahead and dive into is this it so it's 2001 and we've got a revolutionary record on our hands how does it hold up
1: yeah so i gotta start with some hyperbole i gotta start with a hot take as only i can this band is right up there what Led Zeppelin, as far as like the most creative like riffs from a band, Led Zeppelin would be number one. I think this band is number two as far as making good riffs. Even in their songs that aren't good, there's still good riffs in it, whether it be, and sometimes three of them at once. The bass player is always making good stuff. As far as like making memorable like guitar riffs and licks, this is the best modern band to make riffs. Since I've been alive, like mid 90s onward, it just starts out great and it, and it doesn't stop. There's a great riff in every single song on this album.
0: Yeah, one thing I want to note right away and what every freaking critic and person who reviewed this album talked about, and I I do think it is significant because it would kind of define the sound of this movement, is the interplay between the two guitarists on the rhythm section. For most of the album, they're playing two different chord progressions, kind of alternating beats,
1: and that creates a really like bouncy but dissonant groove. It's not only that, it's... That dichotomy is also because both guitarists are playing a different sounding guitar. Albert Hammond is playing a Stratocaster that's very twangy, it's very sharp, so when he's he's making the rhythm sounds, it sounds very choppy, whereas Nick is playing a hollow-body electric that's real creamy, so when he plays his leads, and sometimes they do switch. I mean, they, they did switch occasionally, but most of the time, Albert will be playing rhythm, Nick will be playing the more lead parts, and he has that really creamy Gibson, Les Paul sounding, really Mm. thick, humbucker sounding sound. So that style of the guitar sound in general also made that interplay stick out more. And
2: it's similar to how ACDC did it, Malcolm Young. He typically played a larger, like, creamier sounding hollow body while, of course, Angus is on the the SG.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite things about this album is definitely the rhythm section. I like how much emphasis is placed on rhythm in this album on the bass parts and the guitar parts taking less a uh, melodic lead approach and more creating that echoey rhythm that defines so much of this album
1: I love how choppy the riffs are i love how they did their guitar solos they almost function as like a bridge in the song or as like a part of the song the pretentious wankery that some other people do it literally they play it the same way every time and it fits like it's a part of the song, like it's taking you from the, the first half of the song, the later part of the song, like they're taking you to the ending.
0: All of this is complemented by a very raw and gritty sound. It's raw and it's gritty, but it doesn't sound bad and it still has a pop appeal, mm-hmm. which I think is impressive. Like I really like that they emphasized playing most of these songs as just a recording session or a jam session and going from there.
2: The drums, at least on the first track, they sound very electronic. The hi-hat and snare and maybe the bass drum, it sounds like an electronic kit is being played. If not, then it's like a drum machine.
1: It does feel like the strokes really teeter on that electronic drum and live drum.
2: Yeah, they did both throughout the album. Definitely on the first track, I know for sure. It, It basically opens with... A simple riff and the rhythm and you can definitely hear that hi-hat and that is that yeah, the is, hi-hat is, is very electronic, electronic yes. yeah <laughs> and that's that's one thing i didn't like so much because i just hate the sound of 2000s oh, electronic I drums love i love the electronic hi-hat <laughs> i actually didn't i mind i hate it. those sounds man i actually prefer the sound of 80s electronic drums because it's so obvious the 2000s have this uncanny valley kind of thing going on. They're trying to sound like acoustic drums, but it's obvious they're not. I
1: think it sounds very obviously like an electronic hi-hat. It sounds like it's some riling around like a tin Well, yeah, it, 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 it is. Like a tin can. The, 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 it the, it the, is obvious,
2: but it's, it's got this, like it's starting to try to be like an acoustic hi-hat. Whereas in the 80s, it did not at all. It was... It wasn't even trying to sound like an acoustic hi hat. You know what I mean? It's yeah. has a totally different sound, and that was kind of the point at the time.
1: One of the next songs, and I still think it's a, a good song, if I would have to have a least favorite track is probably the modern age. That's my least favorite track on this album.
0: To kind of comment on the sound of this album, you know, my initial reaction was kind of similar to the one I had to Van Halen One, like, Oh, I've kind of heard this before. You know, this isn't that revolutionary. And then I remember that these guys were kind of like the progenitors of that sound. (laughs) Then I was like, okay, you know, this is is more impressive. And I think there is a lot to like about this album. You know, I don't really have a problem with the electronic drums as much as you do.
2: Maybe it's just a drummer's bias. (laughs) You know,
0: sometimes I do agree with you. But in this case, I think it works fine because there is still that raw gritty sound like you even hear that in julian's vocals they have a very like diy
1: quality to them while still not sounding like shit no i agree there julian is like the cool alcoholic uncle at the party (laughs) he doesn't do anything special but he's just really fun The rest of your family is just so clean and tidy, and he just looks so out of place, but he ties it all together because you need that outlier. I feel like the Strokes are very squeaky clean in how they go about their music, and then Julian is just Julian right in the middle of everything. He kind of ties it all together.
0: As far as the modern age goes, I do think it is probably one of the weaker tracks on the album. I don't really think it sticks out too much from the rest of the bunch. Like I think the second half of this album goes
1: crazy. What is you guys' least favorite track, so I can give you Cap or... The Modern Age.
0: Probably. Okay. I, I'd, modern I'd say, like, Barely Legal. That one, that one's kind of sussy.
1: Well, that's on purpose, though. <laughs> cool. I, I was listening
0: to it, and I, I, mean, that's, I that's like I saying eyebrow raise.
1: <laughs> that, that's like saying that you're like, oh, man, I don't know what they were thinking when they made that song, Little Girls, Bongo Bongo. I'm like, that's kind of the
0: point? I guess may, maybe I missed the point a little bit, but... On first listen, I was like, "This is sucks."
1: No, that's no. It's no. It's the subject in question is a shithead. That's that's that is definitely the point. Yeah, (laughs) that that was not lost on Julian at all.
2: It's it's kind of like the police's song, uh, "Don't stand so close to me." Yeah.
0: In terms of instrumentals, I don't think there's a whole lot of quality variation Mm -hmm. on this album. I think it's a pretty pretty well paced and consistent listening experience throughout. Yeah. There were moments that I didn't care for as much. Like, I do agree that the modern age maybe wasn't a great
2: track. Point of contention for me, I guess, is that there's not, there's not a whole lot of dynamicism in the album. Like, it, yes, it is a well-paced and a very consistent listening experience, but there's not a whole lot of real highs and real lows. It's all kind of... The second half is definitely better, but it, it's largely very similar, the sound. That is the main reason why I'm not a huge fan of the genre in general. It's funny that even, though it they're, like that
1: even though their later albums are worse, I feel like James would like them better because they do have different sounds to them. Now let's go ahead and talk about the track that is n- not on here, but should be on here New York City Cops.
0: I actually think it's a banger. It's a banger. It's on their yeah. streaming platforms, but it's on like, isn't it on like an EP or like a B side or something? Yes.
1: Julian kinda carries that song. I mean it's got a good riff. Was, even though it's pretty simple, it's got a good riff. Julian just kinda carries it with his yelling and then his random comments and stuff it's,
0: it's a very politically charged yes,
1: song. Yes. That Julian just has this thing where sometimes he'll just stop or he'll say something and it just cuts off. It breaks the meter of what he's saying. He was like, Oh no, I didn't really mean that. And then like it'll stop and then it'll go or like he'll just say a question and then it'll break. And it's very perky, jerky. And that's kind of the way he, how he is on this song until the chorus, and then you get the solo, and then he just yells. I like the line: uh, they dress like Romans, but they act like Turks." Very, very nice. Yeah, line. that, that, that would make me laugh. That. He'll make observations on things, especially like negative things, and then he'll just have this general thought like, you know, oh well, things are going by so fast. Well, you know, what can I do? And then on to the next one. Kind of has that general mindset, kind of like how like alone together, take it or leave it, or it is. And then a little bit of is this it? Is this all there
0: is to do? You yeah. know, like, like the album cut title is kind of it's a little sarcastic, it's a little spiteful.
1: And that's that's how a lot of this record is. He's mentioning all of these things, and the city moves so fast, and so does life that sometimes you don't really get to deal with it before you have to move on to the next thing.
0: Yeah, and I think that's kind of a neat parallel that Julian makes on this album. You know, I will credit him as a pretty creative and interesting songwriter. I really like that parallel between the life of New York City and, you know, life in general, growing up, how fast life moves. Because, you know, what is New York? The Big Apple. It's one of the fastest, busiest cities in the world. And growing up in that space, I imagine you get used to just going at 100 all the time always like being busy you know the hustle and bustle like it, it makes sense like and, and I think it's reflected really well thematically in this record
1: and there's a whole lot of Julian just not caring There's just lines where he's like you yeah, I'll try but, you know hard to explain or there was that line uh, and someday you know my ex says that I'm lacking in depth shit I'll try my best I'm like <laughs> 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 they're just very just like man eh, don't care like don't care a kind lot of that, a, a very apathetic attitude yeah
2: he's, he's kind of got a little bit of that cool guy attitude
1: yeah that's why I said I had this conversation with James. I want to mention that he always talks about authenticity in music. Never shuts up about it. I think that the Strokes are it's not important. really Strokes, but Julian has none. <laughs> almost, <laughs> he, especially in this record, he does not. He is very is very superficial. And if you look at the history, a lot of you, know, he's kind of had that like fake tough guy persona. But you know what? You, you almost don't care. I don't. I really don't. I don't care if he's authentic or not. I think it's funny. It's sarcastic. It's yeah. You know, it has. It shows like little depths of emotion, and it kind of pulls back. And it's just really some guy trying to be cool. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. But and it's I just think fun.
0: I think this album works because of the simplicity of Joey Casablanca.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a... St- <laughs> like- he's an enigma. It's just there's this st- story that he. He was doing heroin at one point, but I don't know if this story is like 100% accurate or not. He tells it, but apparently he started doing heroin and drugs like that when the band started around 2001, 2002, because he literally, in his words, thought it made him look cool. And then at one point in time, he met another musician, celebrity on the scene that told him, he's like, that's stupid. (laughs) And he stopped doing it cold turkey. That was the end of it. It just seems. So weird to me, and it does scream of like a lack of authenticity. But at the same time, when you look at it through that lens, it's just weird. Strokes are just that weird, fun band. I don't treat them like Radiohead, where they're just ooh, yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting emotional, or they're a prog band where I'm like, ooh, look at all the like the technicality and all the moving parts. It's just fun. Yeah, they're it's like a good beer on a Saturday night. Yeah, just they're fun. not
0: a deep band, but I mm. don't really have an issue with that. You know, it's just a lot of dumb, fun indie rock
1: with some great riffs. Yeah. You.
0: Yeah, sometimes that's all you need. And I feel like this was such a refresher for people at the time because of the super emotional of the you know, grunge technical movement. technicality of the grunge movement and you know post-rock and the indie scene in the 90s and all that stuff. I feel like this was a breath of fresh air for a lot of people because mm. of the simplicity of this record.
2: Yeah, there's also the prog metal movement that was going on at the time. Dream Theater and Tool were huge lateralists was released in the same year yep. no one. yes so,
0: actually 2001 was a fire stacked. year we were talking yeah. about this the other day yeah. like discovery vespertine toxicity all of these amazing like arguable like 10 out of 10 records came out that year
2: along with is this it no that is that's a great point and that that has happened quite a bit throughout the history of music you got to think the disco era was also kind of a a catharsis from all the protest music and all the it was a, a very emotional era during the 60s and early 70s, and then disco came around and was like, hey, man, I just want to dance. Let's just have a good time. It was the same thing. The 90s, the grunge was so real and raw and heavy and just emotionally damaging at times, and this came along, and again, it's the same thing. Just trying to relax, chill, be cool.
0: Maybe groove a little bit. Yeah. Bounce around.
1: And I think that can be summed up perfectly in someday that kind of nostalgic song that kind of thing back and even the instrumentals themselves have a kind of you know that simple little sustained lick it just has this thought and then if you watch the music video there are all these you know other celebrities like there's guns and roses members and they're hanging out in a bar with slash it just feels like it's trying to engineer this nostalgia and it does
0: it, it works well mm-hmm. you know it does a great job of putting you in that mindset of just, oh, you know, I just want to have a good time.
2: Yeah, and to be clear, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that music. In fact, I love that
1: kind of music. There are some emotional cuts on this album, though. Don't get me wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying this is like kiddie pool, superficial, or anything like that. You know, Julian has some stuff to say, and I do like a lot of the the themes that come up on this album. It is actually kind of political. Like, It's a pretty politically charged album in some stretches.
1: This was like cool, trying to be cool rock star Julian era. In the middle of the Strokes Discog, you get the sad alcoholic Julian era. That's where his best writing comes from, I think, from that side. But yeah, this is also very political. But I like a, I like Alone Together, and especially Trying Your Luck. Trying Your Luck is one of my favorite songs on this album because it's, it's a little more personal. It's a little, all the veneer of cool guys kind of strip back a little bit. Yeah. It's very honest. It's like saying, I don't know where this is going to go, but I'll try my luck in this endeavor, in this relationship, in this what have you.
0: This was also a favorite of mine. I actually think this is where Julian like really starts to, to pick it up vocally the second half, especially like when it started trying your luck and the uh, closer.
1: And then of course I love hard to explain too. With like yeah. it's, it's high pace Sustained guitar licks. Love the tone from Nick Valencia in this one. And then take or leave. It. That's the staple. I hear that covered a lot live by bands. That was a, a go to cover from yeah. Arctic Monkeys when they started. It was yeah. hell of a
0: closer, man. Like it's probably one of my favorite Stroke songs in retrospect.
1: Oh yeah, it feels like it is the you had to have one song to like really encapsulate the album. It'd be take or leave. It.
0: Yeah, it, yeah. it goes out with a bang. My favorite thing about this album, and I kind of touched on it earlier, is the rhythm section, dude. the way that the guitars bounce off of each other, along with the very, very catchy and earwormy bass lines that you get on top of these raw and like, I feel like Julian has a very uncouth sound in his voice Mm -hmm. while still having a lot of feel and emotion to it.
1: As far as the bass playing goes, Nikolai just gets better and better bass riffs as the Strokes albums go along. It's not really considered one of their best, but I think First Impressions has some of his best. Like, he only gets better from here. Although, the drums are actually probably, if I had to pick like a least favorite part of the band, it'd probably be Fabrizio. Yeah. Because sometimes I like the electronic drums because, I mean, I'm a big fan of Julian's project, The Voids, which got even more into the dance element. I, that is essentially just dance rock because the drums are they don't even try to be live half the time on the albums they are like on very very electronic but sometimes I like that Fabrizio doesn't really get you know a chance to really mix things up a little bit I think he's very
2: yeah he's in one lane he's just a solid kind of meat and potatoes drummer he just does his job and that's about it lays the beat down not much else really he has a few little fills here and there just to move the song along or in certain structural areas, but again, it's just basic beats. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I'm a huge fan of meat-potato drummers. I mean, Robbie Bachman, who just recently passed away, he was one of my favorite drummers, and he played for Bachman Turner Overdrive, and he created really simple beats that just laid down a solid rhythm meat for a great rock song. A lot of times in rock, that's what you need. That's all you need.
1: I also, I want to share a phenomenon of one of the songs that I've witnessed. One of my favorite songs when I first discovered this album was "Alone Together." I liked the simple beat. I liked the interesting. This is one of those songs where the main riff plays, and then when Julian sings, for most of the song, both guitars aren't playing at the same time. It's just one, then the other, and then one, and the other. Call and response. Yes. When I first listened to it the first few times, this was one of my favorites. And now it's probably one of my least favorites on the album.
0: I didn't really get that element. I actually kind of like the back and forth between... Oh, I like that. ...the guitars and you know Julian kind of you know mumbling and riffing on top of it. Alone Together, I thought, was one of the better cuts on the album, actually. And it was for that reason, this back and forth. The Strokes really know their way around a bouncy groove. And I, I felt that song was actually one of the more high energy pieces on the album. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to disagree with her.
1: I'm wondering if because yeah, I think when I discovered it, it was before the era of Spotify, I'm almost wondering if someone didn't speed it up when I listened to the first version of it. Well, yeah,
0: I mean Limewire. Mm, Possibly. You know, if you're around our age, LimeWire was a hellscape. This this is a bit of a, a an aside, but I remember very distinctly trying to download Lincoln Park's Hybrid Theory on LimeWire, <laughs> and I downloaded a version of um, In the End that had. <laughs> I have this very this very distinct memory. It was a it was a version of In the End that had "Cause I Got High" by Afro Man interpolated into it. <laughs> what. <laughs> That that was the kind of stuff you would encounter on places like LimeWire and, uh, you know, mp 3 Skull and like BMP3 and all those like download sites like Napster. And it wouldn't surprise me if you somehow ran into a, a sped up version mm-hmm. or, or one that has a weird remix or down pitched vocals on it or something like that.
2: It could also be a phenomenon where you're so used to the song. Now you became used to it. You were expecting it. You, you, Kind of concentrate on that lick because it's one of your favorites, and because you're you're so knowledgeable about it, so familiar with it, it kind of slows down a bit for you. Yeah, it's definitely a thing because I've experienced it too. Like okay, once you have, okay, I'm not alone here. Yeah, once you no, not at all. Once you have a high level of familiarity with a song, and especially if your familiarity with music, music theory, and just the instrument itself, you will. You'll start to hear a lot more things, and you'll it'll slow down for you. It's kind of like, kind of like in sports, you know, in how NFL quarterbacks will always talk about how the game starts to slow down the more experience they get.
1: As as much as we dog on call and response, when instruments do call and response, I happen to really enjoy it. I think it's only when it's corny vocal call and response is when yeah. we dislike yeah, it. The, I, I got that one chance. Infiltrate there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's one of my least favorite yeah. things about Rust in Peace.
1: I, <laughs> I don't know, man. I still love
2: it. It's corny as hell, but God. It's... Yeah,
1: Eighty, the 80s loved the call, vocal call and response, and yeah. for the most part, it was 100% corny.
2: Now, vocal and instrument call and response, that's cool, too. I really enjoy that, and that's a common thing in the blues.
0: They They take all of these elements, you know, they try to keep it pretty creative, even though it sounds really consistent and smooth it out into one consistent experience. You know, there are a lot of musical ideas on this album that they play with, but it still has the same consistent and smooth, bouncy sound throughout.
1: If you think about it, the Strokes really are a live band's dream for this album, because if you think about it, they hardly change their sound at all. They could literally just pick up their instruments and play it all the way through. They don't have to change out guitars. They don't really have to swap a bunch of stuff. They're just playing it. And there's beauty in that, sim- in that recording simplicity. They had to refine their ideas. They couldn't really rely on all these techniques and what have you. They're just like, we just got to present what we're doing, you know, what we've been doing, all this material that we've been playing live. We have to translate this as best we can. Because we haven't really added a whole lot to it. Because we can't. We just have our guitars. We just play it. And I said, we don't really have time to add anything else to it. So we have yep. to have good meat and potatoes. I'm sure they're a great live band to see. Because you're not standing there
2: for like five minutes waiting for on them to tune their guitars. <laughs> every other track.
1: No, bro, they play like half their discog in like 50 minutes. It's ridiculous. As a man who has seen them live.
0: Well said. Now... I do feel like we've gotten into the album a little bit, but Garrett, I actually had a question for you. So what, to you, makes the Strokes... What what sets the Strokes apart from other indie rock revival bands, in your opinion, of that time period?
1: I think it's just consistency, to be honest. One, it's a unique personality. Two, there was a lot of guitar playing, but the interplay... With the bass, I mean, look at Franz Ferdinand that tried to do the same thing. And I, I like their first album, but the guitar interplay in their first album doesn't touch what the Strokes did and Is This It. Even though it's simple, it's you have guitars doing it and the bass is doing it. Like No one is doing anything that doesn't sound cool. You listen to all the isolated tracks. I mean, good Lord, you could be listening to it for a while. There's no one that's just doing something just boring. There's no one just sitting there just phoning it in. But also, Julian also carries a lot of it. He's entertaining. Like I said, he does not do anything. When you watch him live, he does not do anything on stage. He is the antithesis of Iggy Pop. He does not move. He smokes his cigarette. He drinks his beer. He sings. And that is it. But you know what? You are somehow intrigued the whole entire time because he's just, he's just got that charisma. He can just exist. And that's fine. He oozes cool guy yeah, but he's not but you know he's not. That's the thing. Because he literally has so much fake cool guy energy that somehow it looped around he became cool. Okay. It's trying to describe as like, okay, what's the difference between like the real punk garage rock, white stripes and the hives? What makes them different? How do you say like no oh, one sucks and the other doesn't? You know, they're doing a lot of the same things but they're much more refined. Their sound is better. I think also the bass player really makes it. A lot of bass players in garage rock suck or almost don't even exist. They just don't even have a bass player. Nikolai really makes things together, really puts things together. I'd have to agree. A lot of of drummers in garage rock also suck. Make one.
2: That's one of the staple sounds of garage rock in general having just some shitty drummer to go back there and plod on him for a while. As long as you can keep a beat, that's all that matters. (laughs) But yeah, I think we've
0: delved into the album enough, so I think it's time to get into our final thoughts. Uh, Do you have anything else you want to say, Garrett or James, before we move on?
2: Nope, I'm good.
0: Alright, well, I'll go ahead and start. Is This It was a pivotal moment in what is one of the largest and last real significant rock movements in the history of the genre. And I have to say I think it's very fascinating that this album just kind of took the world by storm the way it did. It's a great project. It's very consistent. I do like the charisma of Julian Casablancas, you know. It's it's a very odd kind of charisma, very aloof while still having something to say even if it is superficial, even if it is silly. In some ways, and maybe lacks a little bit of authenticity, but I think that this album was such a breath of fresh air coming out of the nineties that it only makes sense that it would blow up the way it did. I'm not a big fan of the grunge movement. You guys definitely know that. And I really like the poppy consistent and bouncy appeal of this album. You know, the rhythm section goes off. I love the guitars and the bass on this album so much. And I think it's a great, solid, and consistent listen, and I understand why this is viewed as such a classic by so many different people, especially people growing up in the 2000s. So I definitely think this is a staple listen for anyone that is a fan of garage rock, of any rock, or just wants to get a snapshot into the picture of what it was like growing up with music in the 2000s. So I'm going to go ahead and give this a 9 out of 10. Certified classic, I... I'm not as big of a fan of it as, say, somebody like Garrett, but I understand the significant historical impact that it had on the rock genre during that time.
2: Well said, man. So I'm going to just start it off ripping the band-aid off here. I'm not a big fan of the genre. While, yes, I acknowledge and I actually appreciate their huge historical significance and their influence on rock, they basically set the stage for the sound of rock for the next twenty years. I mean that that is no small accomplishment. There, it's just that I'm not a big fan of that sound. Much like you, Mac, are not a fan of the grunge movement. It's kind of the opposite for me, and I acknowledge that they do have a certain bounciness to their groove, but it to their to their sound. But it's just not getting there for me. You know, it. I guess maybe it's because of the they embraced a lot of the kind of superficial musical trends that really started in the late 90s and 2000s. A lot of it sounds very compressed, and with the electronic drums and everything, it's, it's a very superficial sound in a lot of ways, and it doesn't connect with me. I prefer the more real, the soulful, the, the rawness of, especially the grunge movement. The drum sound of the grunge era is my favorite drum sound of all time. And this is the opposite. They did away with that and made these really compressed drum sounds. But I will say that the Strokes did the best of everyone I've heard. They still have this really nice bounciness, this nice groove to it. Like especially in Last Night. I mean, that sounds like a nice classic good old rock and roll song, and I very much appreciate that. Even though a lot of the other tracks on the album don't quite sound the same, it's something that I still enjoy, and they still paved the way for... They basically kept rock alive for another 20 years, and that's something that I will kind of love them for. So I'm not as high on this album as Mac or Garrett is, but I still think it's a great listening experience, especially for someone who enjoys the sound of 2000s indie. So I'll give this album a 7 out of 10.
1: Massive cap. Big cap. I'm honestly scared to do the rest of this deep dive. This it is, is. <laughs> hard cap. I, I'm going to have to disagree with you there too, James. <laughs> anyway, I'll get into my... So... What makes, besides its historical significance, what makes Is This It? so good? It's really just five guys at the top of their game playing some good old-fashioned rock music in New York City, making it fun, making it a little emotional at times, but really saying what they're trying to say, doing what they want to do on their sleeve. There's really no pretension in it. There's really no, I guess, hidden metaphors. They're they're giving it to you on a plate. They're making it fun. They have a little bit of poppiness to kind of subvert all the trends that you were seeing up to that point. They're trying to make dance rock a thing at certain points. Like, Hard to Explain very much feels like early dance rock. Last Night feels very... And a lot of people say this album is very homogenized. I, I disagree. Last Night feels like a a lot of 50s influence there. Hard to Explain feels like a dance rock track. Is This It, Modern Age, Soma, there's a lot of early 70s soft rock in there, especially with one of the band members' fathers being in that in the soft rock movement, Albert Hammond. I see all the little things they did. This is a perfect example of taking little influences but putting them under your own banner so seamlessly that at first you almost can't even tell that they're there begin with. And like I said, the Strokes are just one of the riffiest albums of all time. I mean, every guitar part is interesting. It makes me want to pick up a bass. I've learned several of these guitar lines, like literally just right off. You know, it's kind of like there's certain guitarists like Eddie or um, like Pete Townsend, uh, Eric Clapton. They have simple lines. They're not super technical. But they make you want to pick up a bass and pick up a guitar. I mean, I learned New York City comps. Like I learned Reptilia from their second album, I learned, I think, part of Someday. You know, I just, it's just wanted to pick it up and have, and this is just a fun album, and there doesn't need to be anything more than that. I think Mm -hmm. this is the best Strokes album. I think this is one of the best albums of, oh, in a year with a lot of stacked releases and a lot of 10 out of 10s, this is one of them, this is a 10 out of 10
0: well said garrett well said it'll be interesting to go through this strokes deep dive especially because i haven't really heard much past the 2000s from them so i'm excited to see where this journey takes us if my opinion will change on their music same here but with that being said any final thoughts guys all right well this is off the key podcast and you're listening to deep dives and we're out of here thanks guys shout out to lecrembo for the intro and outro music also check out our link tree for where to follow us we are on instagram and facebook and a variety of streaming platforms and if you could give us a sub or a listen or even a follow it'd be greatly appreciated thanks guys see you later